Tonight we're going to finish up our dating and relationship series called Beautiful Design. So for the last two weeks we talked about, on the first week, we talked about love and just what love is. Uh, We talked about uh, God's design for love. And then the second week we talked about dating. And now tonight we're going to go back to the beginning in the book of Genesis and talk about marriage. We're going to talk about what marriage is, what God created it for. Uh, But before I do that, I just want to personally invite you to come to uh, Brotherhood Sisterhood this Friday. Uh, There's still going to be time for just guys and girls, so don't think we're completely together the whole time. Uh, So what the deal is, is first we'll start out by eating pizza, which is always fun. So come for the free food at 7, and then we'll go and do some acoustic worship. If you've ever heard um, Levinsky and Mackenzie... Levinsky and Mackenzie Levisier do acoustic worship together. It's incredible. Like, seriously, just come for that. It's amazing. So, yeah, they'll do that. And then Emily and I will talk for 20 to 30 minutes, you know, a little bit about our journey, but also just about how we can date in such a way, because I feel like a lot of times when we date, it kind of actually distracts us from God. It distracts us from advancing the gospel. And we're going to talk about how we can date in such a way where we continue to advance the gospel and even do it more so. So come for that. It's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, so that's my pitch, and it's going to be at Grace Community Church. So not Glad Tidings Church anymore. They changed the name, uh, but I'm sure on Google it's still Glad Tidings. So it's down the road on Hudson Road, 442 on Hudson Road, something, Cedar Falls. Amen. Be there. All right. So the reason we titled this series A Beautiful Design is because we believe that as we look to the scriptures and we look at God's design for marriage, it's just that. It's beautiful. It's something that should be marveled at. It's incredible. We don't need to apologize for it or try to change God's design, but instead we should marvel at it and say, wow, God really knew what he was doing when he set up the first marriage in Genesis 1 and 2. And the first, because I said, we talked about love, and we didn't just talk about love. We didn't just talk about, oh, like, or what's it like to get butterflies in your stomach? No, we talked about godly love. We talked about what it means to lay down your life uh, for someone else. So we talked about four different words for love in the Greek language. There's one that's for friendship love. There's one that's for family love or affectionate love. There's one that's for uh, sexual love. Bow, chicka, wow, wow, come on. And then the fourth one was godly love, and that's laying down your life for someone else. And when Jesus in the Bible, when he says, go and love one another, he's saying, go lay down your life for someone. He's not saying, go feel warm inside towards someone, although that can be a form of love. He's saying, go lay down your life for someone else. So we set that up, and we said, if, if we're going to date right, and if we're going to do marriage right, then we have to get what true love is, and that's laying down your life for someone else. And then last week, we talked about dating according to God's design. So it's kind of hard to do that because if you look in the Bible, nobody really dated. Parents picked their, pretty much picked who their uh, kids would marry, or, or the marriage was set up, and they would just go meet each other on the day of the wedding, get married, and go from there. For us, we get the opportunity to date, which I think is a good thing. You can see who you're marrying. But it's also hard because we have to see, or we kind of have to read between the lines to see what Scripture says about dating well. So we had four different things we talked about uh, that contribute to a, healthy, or to a healthy dating relationship. I'm not going to go through those. That's incentive if you weren't here last week to go online and listen to the sermon from last week. And now tonight, like I said, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about two things. What is marriage? So kind of break that down for us. And then what is marriage for? So what's the purpose of marriage? Why did God set marriage up? So we're going to be in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn there, but also it'll be on the screen. <clears throat> All right, so this is the very first book of the Bible, so it's not hard to find. You just open up past the table of contents, past some other stuff that's probably there. Genesis 2, verse 18 through 25, God is setting up the first marriage. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, 
It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That'd be kind of cool to get to name the animals, like come up with zebra and giraffe or whatever. All right, that was random. Verse 20, uh, the man gave names. I already said that. No, wait. Yeah, the man gave names. I think I said that. Verse 21, we're going to skip. If I didn't say it. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs out and closed, or closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into, into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man breaks out in song. Okay, he's like singing. He's so pumped. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this is where it gets kind of rated R here. The man and his wife were both naked, but they weren't ashamed. This is a little different. We'd be a little more ashamed now. And they do get ashamed later. I'm not going to talk about that. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you're in this place. God, we thank you for every single student who stepped in this room tonight. And I pray that, that as I preach it, God, that you would just take over. I pray that you would speak to us specifically. God, I pray that you would touch us. I pray that you would uh, soften our hearts if they're hard. I pray that you give us wisdom and help us to look at your word to see what, or to see what marriage truly is. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so the main idea tonight is this. You want to throw it up there? So marriage, as God's uh, set up in Genesis, is truly a beautiful design. Part three, the beautiful design. That's what tonight is called, the beautiful design. So we've been kind of talking about the beautiful design of love, the beautiful design of, of dating, right? Now tonight, it's the beautiful design. If you want to throw that uh, slide up there quick, the beautiful design. Uh, and what I'm talking about is marriage. Like marriage is this beautiful, great idea that God had, and I want to just marvel at it tonight. Before I do that, though, I kind of want to tell just a bit of uh, the story of our wedding day. It's kind of funny. So Emily and I are currently in our fourth year of marriage, so we got married when we were 20 years old on June 29, 2013, and we had no idea what we were doing. So yeah, some of you are way older than that, and uh, these last four years have had their highs and lows, but it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced in life, getting to be married. And our wedding day was quite the day. If you uh, throw up the first picture here, so there it is. It was quite the day. It was a beautiful day. People were dancing. There was joy, there was fun, There's quite a few tears. Uh, but something you might not guess by looking at the picture, it's just about an hour before we got drenched by a downpour of rain, okay? So, um, yeah, so throw up the next picture here. So we're taking pictures down at this pond thing. Um, yeah, great picture. Um, <laughs> so we're taking pictures down here. You throw up the next one, too, uh, of the bridesmaids. So, yeah, there we are. And my dad sees a storm cloud. He's like, you've got about 30 seconds. You better start running. And we all look, and there's a storm cloud just rolling in. So we start sprinting back towards the building. If you throw up the next picture here. <clears throat> that was about 30 seconds later. I'm serious. So just getting poured on. We got drenched. But God worked it out some way and uh, did get us situated before the ceremony. And I can remember, though, talking to Emily about the rain. You know, obviously we didn't want it to rain. I'd look at the weather like every day from the 30-day forecast. We did not want it to rain, but something I liked about the rain 
is it kind of gives us a picture of just what marriage is going to be like. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. That day was beautiful. It was truly, truly wonderful. But along the way, there's going to be many storms. You know, marriage is not about the wedding. See, that's something I realized. Like, it's not about the wedding. It's, or it's not about having your perfect Pinterest wedding or the perfect day. But it's about two people saying, I'm with you through thick and thin. Saying, I'm going to be there for you no matter what happens. When crap hits the fan, I'm going to be there for you. And we've seen that in our marriage. We moved to Minneapolis right after we got married. So we were students here at UNI, and then we moved up to, or to Minneapolis. And we lived in this apartment downtown. It was this tiny 400-square-foot apartment. You could barely move in there. And it was infested with cockroaches and bedbugs. For the next year, we got to enjoy that. So we experienced that for a year. That was fun. For your first year of marriage, you're 20 years old. You have no money. You don't know what you're doing. Dealing with that almost every night. Like we come into the door and we turn on the light and we'd be like, Lord, please, like no cockroaches. And they'd be, like there'd always be one on the wall typically. And then we'd like run away from it because I hate bugs. And then we'd go hide in the little place, come back out the next night. And then we found out later we had uh, bed bugs. And like it was this fun journey. But also there were so many highs about being in Minneapolis. We met so many cool people. We uh, got involved into a new Christian community there and experienced uh, some of the greatest uh, joys of our life. And then we came back here to Cedar Falls and this last two years has been amazing here as well. We've gotten to see some of you go from not being a Christian at all to getting transformed by the power of the gospel, choosing to, or to get baptized in water, choosing, or not choosing, but getting spirit baptized. Uh, some of you feeling called to ministry. We've gotten to see this group grow from 15 to 20 students. We got here, now it's like 70 to 90, depending upon what week you come. It's totally different every week. But, uh, but God has done something amazing, and we've gotten to be part of that. So so what I'm trying to say is there's been highs, there's been lows, and that's what marriage is. And it's, but the thing is, is like, uh, just no matter what happens, the beautiful thing about marriage is the two people say, I'm with you, I'm for you no matter what. And I pray that tonight that each of you would get a desire. If God's calling you to get married, so God may call some of you to be single, but I pray that if you're called to, or to get married, that you would get excited about it, not because of uh, the romance films you've seen and you want that perfect wedding and you can ride off on the horse with Prince Charming. No, not that. But because, or because marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Because Jesus stays committed to us even when we're crappy, like even when we're doing stupid things. And marriage is a reflection of that. We stay committed to each other. And I pray that you would say, I want to get married so I can reflect the gospel to the world. I want to get married so I can lay my life down for someone else and be like Jesus. Not I want to get married because I want the perfect wedding and I want this perfect life, but I want you to want to get married because you want to be more like Jesus. That's my prayer tonight. And I think all of us do want to have this kind of marriage where two people are uh, committed to each other no matter what happens. They're both hopelessly in love emotionally. Like, that's fun. The butterflies are fun. I enjoy those. But also, the two people <clears throat> are hopelessly committed to one another. And they're saying, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if there's bed bugs in our bed, which really sucks. Pray, pray that that doesn't happen to you. But, uh, but no matter what happens, I'm going to be committed to you. I pray that you get excited about both aspects of that. Have you ever noticed that like every good romantic movie ends in marriage? Like that's what we want to happen. Or the Bachelor, Bachelorette show really stinks because it never really ends in that. Like they might get married for a little bit. There's something in us that wants to see people go the distance, to be committed no matter what. It's within our hearts. God's put that desire there. Just as Adam said, I need a helper. That's in you. And I pray tonight that you would get a better picture of just what marriage is. So the things I want to do is, first I want to answer this question. Throw it up there. What is marriage? That's what I want to talk about just for a few seconds, a few moments, won't be seconds. But uh, 
Just talk about what is marriage. So the first thing that marriage is, is marriage is a, or is a sacred covenant. So maybe that word doesn't mean anything to you, but marriage is a sacred, re, or, a sacred relationship that was set up by God at the very beginning. As we saw in Genesis 2, God creates man out of the dust of the ground. He calls him to take care of the earth. And then the Lord God points out that it's not good for man to be alone and then creates a wife for him. Then when the man sees his new wife, Eve, you saw this. He gets pumped. He starts singing. It's going to be some of you guys in here. You're going to start singing when you meet that girl. I'm telling you, singing these poems or whatever. And then it says that the man leaves his father and his mother, and they become one flesh. They become this word called a cod in the Hebrew language, which means to be or to become fused together at the deepest levels. This is beautiful. And they enter into this covenant. This covenant, like I said, was to they're designed by God. And a covenant is not merely a legal contract. So it's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you something, then you give me something in return. It's also not just an intimate relationship like, hey, hey, I'm pumped about dating you. Like, I feel really good, so I'll date you as long as that stays there. But instead, it's a stunning blend. It's this blend of law and love. So a covenant is a relationship that is far more intimate and personal than just a contract that says, hey, I'm legally bound to you. So it's more intimate and personal than that. But at the same time, it's far more durable, binding, and unconditional than just a relationship that's based off of feelings and affection. So as I said, it's a stunning blend of law and love. And the willingness to enter into this relationship shows that you are truly willing to give all of yourself to a person. So some of you might think, oh, marriage, it stifles true love. But I would contend that committing yourself to someone and closing off all your other options is actually enhancing your love. It doesn't stifle it, it enhances it. The second thing that marriage is is this. Marriage is a call to give and experience godly love. So I talked about this a bit. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul calls husbands and wives to love one another with godly love. We talked about how in the Greek language there's four words for love. He talks about godly love. He says, give yourself to each other by laying down your lives for one another. And the cool thing about marriage is it's the relationship where all four of these loves converge. Like I said, there's friendship love, which is phileo in the Greek language. There's storge love or affectionate love or the, or the love you have for a family member. There's sexual love, eros love, romantic love. And then there's agape love, which is selfless love. And they all come together inside of this, this relationship of marriage. And Paul calls the man and the wife to lay down their lives for each other in Ephesians 5. Let's look at this, verse 22, 25. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So marriage, like I said, is a call to experience and to give godly love. We are to give godly love through laying down our life for our spouse, whether that be submitting to the direction or desires of our partner or saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you and put your interest above my own. And the third thing is this. Marriage is a picture of God's love for us. So if you miss this, if you think marriage is just about you and about you feeling good inside and having a partner, then you totally have missed the point. See, marriage is an earthly representation of a heavenly reality. See, marriage is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And marriage is a call, I'll say it again, to lay down your life for someone else every day, no matter what, through submission, sacrifice, and devotion Let's look at Ephesians 5.25 again. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands are supposed to look to Christ's love for them as a model for how they should love their wives. And that applies to wives as well. You're supposed to lay down your lives for each other. And it 
and reflects this picture of Jesus' love for us. Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you want to apply that to marriage, say, Emily shows her love for Daniel and that while Daniel was a butt and very lazy, she continued to love him. So marriage is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Marriage is a vehicle that God uses to display his love for us. So when you see an amazing marriage, you see this marriage that, wow, they're doing it right, it's supposed to point you to Jesus. It's supposed to show you that Jesus lays down his life for you. And we've all seen those marriages that are just amazing where the spouses lay down their lives for each other. All right, so I covered that. I'm covering a lot of ground tonight. So the second thing I want to cover is this. What is marriage for? What's the point of it? Why do we have marriage? Like some of you think, why do I need a piece of paper to show my love? I already talked about that. This, or the stunning blend of law and love. But also, what is this relationship for? So I think it's for four things. And I got this from a book, so it's not original to me. I talked about this book last week. It's called Loveology. It's from a chapter in that book. But uh, yeah, so anyways, marriage is for four things. The, or the first thing is this, friendship. If you're taking notes, this is really easy. You just write friendship. You can do it. Friendship. Type on your phone, whatever. The first purpose of marriage is friendship. So Genesis 2.18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So every one of us needs relationships. To be fully human and to be fully alive, you need community. That's why I love Chi Alpha, because we have community here. We love each other. We want to be with each other. We want to hang out with each other. And that's the way God wired us. It says it's not good for man to be alone. And the reason we're like this is because we're like God. So he says in uh, Genesis 1, 27, it says we're made in the image of God. And God himself has existed in community for all of eternity. You know, the Christian idea of the Trinity, like maybe you still don't understand that. I'm just starting. No, I'm not really understanding it. Actually, it's way above me. It's way above all of us. But anyways, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence, all of eternity, they're mutually loving and serving each other. That's how we can say God is love. Because there's other persons within God. I know that sounds confusing. But God is love because others are, or because love is others focused. And for all of eternity, God's been loving the different persons of the Trinity within that relationship. So if God was just one person, like he couldn't be love. Because, he doesn't, because love is others focused. And there was a time that there was no humans on earth to love. So God would have just been trying to just love himself. That wouldn't make sense. But instead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been loving each other for all of eternity. And then out of that, God says, I want to extend that to humans. I want to create humans to share in that. And humans, were wired for community. So although our relationship with God is amazing, God also wanted to give us some helpers, some friends to spend time with, because that's the way we're made. We're wired for community. So uh, Genesis 2.24, uh, so, so Adam wanted a helper. He wanted a spouse, and then he wanted someone to become one flesh with. Or with. So let's read this verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So this marriage relationship, I said this, I believe the first week, it's this reflection of the Trinity where you're mutually loving and serving one another. So I think at, actually at the winter retreat, the guys were talking about, you know, like who's on the top of the hierarchy with the Trinity? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? I think everyone thought it might be the Father or there's no hierarchy. And what I said to them is there's really not a hierarchy. There's different roles. And in marriage, there's different roles. So Jesus chooses to submit to the Father. Like, they're not, like, there's no hierarchy. It's not the Father, then the Son. Jesus says, I'm going to submit to the Father, and the Father, in return, has Jesus' best interest at mind. That's just like it is in marriage. Like, the wife, it says, submit to the husband. 
Okay, but it's not like the wife is supposed to be a yes woman and just say whatever you want, like a big jerk, just do whatever he says to do. No, so men, you can't just boss your wives around. But the father to Jesus, he has Jesus' best interests in mind, and that's what husbands are called to do, to have their wives' best interests in mind, okay? So it's a reflection of the Trinity, and God created us to desire this relationship, to, de- to desire someone to have friendship with, uh, someone to enjoy, uh, someone to have this, this powerful relationship with, someone who can truly know you and still fully love you. Someone who can know all the things about you, all the junk, because in marriage you see the junk, but at the same time say, I still love you. God created us, or created marriage to be a place where we can see that fleshed out. So Tim Keller has this great quote, it's kind of long, try to follow along. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. So if someone says they love you but they don't actually know you, that might make you feel good, but that's superficial. But, and to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So if people know you and then they decide not to love you, that really stinks. And I think a lot of us are scared of that. But to be fully known, so for someone to know everything about you, and at the same time, truly loved, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our own self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that, that life can throw at us. That's what marriage is supposed to be place where you can have that friendship where someone knows everything about you, but they still love you. Once again, a reflection of the gospel, as we talked about earlier, a reflection of God's love for us. And the thing I love most about, about my marriage is my friendship with Emily. Like that, like all the other stuff is great, the butterflies, whatever, but the friendship is where it's at, in my opinion. And I hope all you guys seek out someone who you can have friendship with, the like, true companionship with. Like you don't have to get, or to get married to have this companionship, but it is God's main vehicle to reflect this kind of relationship. The second thing that marriage is for is gardening. You may say, what are you talking about? So the guy who wrote the book is a hipster, and he had to use a cool word for it. But pretty much what he's saying by gardening is our work or our calling. So, you know, Adam in the first, uh, in the first relationship was called to be a gardener. He was called to take care of the earth. Let's read this. Uh, Genesis 1 26 and 20, or through 28, says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that are moving along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, and male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God put Adam in the garden to work and to take care of it. This was part of his job description. It was his calling. And in verse 26, it says, or it, says, or it says, let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule. So that's the key word, that they may rule in verse 26. Then in verse 28, he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So humans were created to rule over the earth and to subdue it. And the Hebrew word here that translates to rule means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere and taking the world to another place. So the word subdue does not mean to exploit or to harm the earth. 
That's why Christians love the environment. That's not a political thing. That's just a thing. Take care of the environment. God calls us to harness the materials that make up the planet and all the potential to make something beautiful. And today we call this work. And, and work is not a bad thing. So if you think work is from the devil, you're wrong. God, it's God's idea. And I think we'll work in heaven. Like work is a good thing. Like, if you're not going to work, you're going to be really discontented. If you don't do anything, if you don't advance anything in the world, you're going to be discontented. And by work, I don't mean working at your part-time job. I'm saying doing the calling that God has called you to do. So for me, if I was not a minister of the gospel, if I didn't like, hang out with you guys all week, I'd be very, very discontented. For those of you who are called, or I just saw Josh Hans, he's called to do ministry and to do some fitness stuff. If he doesn't get to do ministry and to do fitness stuff, he's going to be very discontented. Guys, we're called. Each of us has a calling. Maybe you're calling us to be a stay-at-home mom. Or maybe you're called to be a barista who just kills it at Caribou. Or maybe you're called to be an accountant like my wife. God bless her. Like whatever your calling is, like you have to find that and you have to do it. See, Adam had a calling and God told him to do it. And if Adam didn't do it, he wouldn't have been satisfied. So in our marriages, we need to find someone who can partner with us in our calling. That's not saying that you have to have the same occupation, but it's saying that you guys... And that in marriage, we should find someone who we can partner with and say, we're going to take the world somewhere for God. We're going to take the world somewhere. So if you're just married, just to have the butterflies and to be honest, to have sex with someone, just being honest, and that's going to be really lame for you. Get married and say, hey, hey as a couple, we're going to advance the gospel. As a couple, we're going to take the world somewhere together. So for me and Emily, it's a calling to pastor people and to build the church. I want to take the gospel to places that truly need it. That's why I'm on the secular campus. This can be a hard place, but that's what God has called me to do. That's what God has called Emily to do. And we've gotten to experience this over the last couple of years. And I pray that you would find your calling and that you would find a spouse who can partner with you in that. Each of you need to grapple with that. You need to grapple with, is my partner someone who I can partner with to take the world somewhere. So if you're called to be a foreign missionary, I said this last week, and your spouse or your potential spouse is called to just be a businessman in America, maybe that wouldn't work out the best for you. Maybe you should find someone else who feels called to go to another country. We need to find a spouse who's going to partner with us. And that's another reason why I say that Christians should not be dating non-Christians. That's just, that's logic. The third week, I, it's the third week I've said it, I'll probably say it on Friday because I want you to get this. And I really want you to get Christians should not date non-Christians, not because non-Christians are terrible, but I'm saying as a Christian, your faith will be something very important to you. And God's going to call you to take or to take your faith to people. And if your spouse is not on board with that, that's going to be very troubling for you. So I pray that you'd find a spouse who is a Christian as well. All right, so let's go on to the third thing here. The third thing is sex. There's a lot of people saying amen under their breath. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were friends, they were partners, but they also were lovers. In Genesis, they're chilling together. They're just hanging out in a garden, butt naked. And then naturally, they start getting it on. See, God created our bodies. He wired us, and it's not an accident that he created sexual organs, okay? I'm not going to get into like fourth grades, whatever that's called, sexual development. But God wired you for sexuality. 
And he was not surprised when Adam and Eve started getting on it. Like, he was like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> God designed a man and a woman with separate body parts that come together like a puzzle piece. Two people, the opposite sex, coming together like a puzzle piece. That's the way he wired us. And marriage is the avenue, it's the only avenue that we're called to express our sexuality in. Talked about this last week. Like we shouldn't be asking how far is too far because there should be no sexuality outside of marriage. Instead, we should ask, when can we start, which is marriage. So don't try to stir it up a little bit or with someone that's not your spouse. Instead, say, hey, hey, when can we start? And we're really excited about that. And we're going to go all the way right away. Like we're not going to have to try to stop. We're just going to go all the way right away because that's what you're made to do. God created these organs. That's why it's so hard for you when you're making out, cuddling, to be like, oh, let's stop. Because God created your organs. Like Adam and Eve, I think they lasted like two minutes, and they were just doing it in the garden. Seriously. So for you guys that are trying to stir it up a little bit, and then you're struggling, you idiot. Like the reason you're struggling is because you're stirring it up, and you're not supposed to. Adam and Eve were perfect at this point, and they were getting it on. So I'm just saying, don't stir it up. In Jesus' name. And when we come together in sex, we become one. Akkad, as I said, this word akkad from the Hebrew language, we become fused together at the deepest levels. And akkad is when the lines start to blur between a man and a woman. It's, it's when you become fully known by another human. And one flesh means we're fused together. This is powerful. We need to have a high view of sex. With that reality in mind of becoming akkad, we need to have a high view of sex. Our culture has cheapened sex. It says, oh, it's just sex. It doesn't matter. But God holds it in high regard. It's a sacred thing. It's not something to be thrown around. It's something to, to be revered and to be reserved for the marriage relationship. And the only relationship strong enough to hold a cod, which is this untamed, fierce power of sex, is marriage. It's the only place it's safe. It's the only container that can hold sex and for you to still be safe in that. It's the only place. It has to happen inside a marriage where the partners are committed for better or for worse. They've signed that covenant. It's legal. It's not only legal, but they also love each other. It's the stunning blend of law and love. That's the only place it can happen where you're not performing. That's one thing we got to get. If we're having sex outside of marriage, then it, be, then it can become about impressing the other person. Like you're trying to you know, show off to them. That's not what sex should be about. You shouldn't perform with your sexuality, trying to impress the other person. Hopefully, they'll stay with me. When we have sex outside marriage, it's about seeing if we have chemistry, seeing if we're good at it. That's not what it's supposed to be. But inside this legal bond of marriage, sex is self-giving. It's beautiful. It's when two people say, I'm with you, for better or for worse. Even when you get ugly, which will happen to a lot of us. There's a few that just stay beautiful until they're like 70. I don't know how it happens. But most of us will get ugly. But you keep sticking it out with them. The fourth thing is this tonight. Family. The fourth reason for marriage is the family. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God designed us to be able to have children. That wasn't an accident either. It comes together, man and woman, in marriage, come together, and you can make a baby. It's his idea. And the first command in the Bible is to be fruitful and to multiply. God says, go have some babies in Jesus' name. 
God is into the family. God believes in the importance of the family. As Christians, we need to be so passionate about the family. The family is the building block of society, and we need to value it and protect it, and we need to champion it. God loves the family, and we should too. Family is God's vehicle to fill the earth. I believe that God wants to use the family to reach the ends of the earth. When a Christian father and mother are together, and they're raising up young disciples, and they send them out to the ends of the earth, I believe that God can reach the the ends of the earth through good families, through families that are grounded on him. I believe that family is God's plan to reach the earth. God's into the family. We need to value it, and we need to value children. And our culture culture has two main errors when it comes to thinking about the family. So we'll throw these up on the screen. The first error is this. Some people think, oh, children, they're collateral damage. Like they just kind of like ran on my parade. They're getting in the way of my thing I want to do in life. So many people have an anti-children view of the world. You know, sex is great, marriage, eh, maybe. Kids, definitely not for me. That's what it is, isn't it? Sex is like amazing, marriage, eh. Kids, no, definitely not. That's what our culture, by and large, is coming to think. You look at Europe, like they're not even having kids anymore, barely having kids. Actually, and this isn't like, I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but, but there's a good chance that actually Europe will become a predominantly Muslim place because Muslims like to have babies. That's cool. Like we like to have babies too. And, and secular people in Europe don't like to have kids. And soon it's going to overtake it. So Christians have some stinking kids. Fill the earth with them, all right? So children are not collateral damage. You know, more than one-fifth of all pregnancies in the U.S. end in abortion. One out of three children go to bed without a dad. And the number of children being born out of wedlock to women under 30 is more than 50% in most of the country. We do not value children enough in our society. A teenager gets pregnant, you know, logical solution, just abort it. You know, that's just getting in the way of your dreams. But that's so far from God's heart. God loves children, and we should love children too. And if you've had an abortion, like, I'm not, like, hating on you. There's forgiveness. There's redemption. Always know that. That's so far from God's heart. Children should be considered as a part of our calling if God's enabled you to have children. Some people can't have children, but if God's enabled you to have children, it should be viewed as part of your calling. We need to value the family. We need to value children. And the second, the second uh, mistake our culture can have is this, this idea that children are our purpose. So we often see this in the church. We see this idolization of children. Fam- our children become, become this idol and young couples are hounded all the time. When are you going to have kids? Personally, I don't mind it because I want to have kids, so you can like, hound me about it. That's fine. But, but there's many young couples that get hounded. You know, or singles are hounded all the time. Hey, when are you getting married? You know, when are you going to find someone? That's so awkward. Don't ask someone that. If they're single, like, don't. That's just rude. And there's many parents who put their hope in their children. You know, their kids are their little gods, and they live through their children. They're like, you know, I wasn't a very good quarterback in high school, but my kid, he's going to be a great quarterback. And that's all they do for 18 years, just try to get their kid to just be this like, high school superstar. Our kids should not become our idols. Parents don't exist to make their children happy. So that's not God's purpose for family either. The family exists to spread God's rule over the earth. We're called to fill the earth and to, and to subdue it And we're going to need more than one man and one woman to do it. We need to have children, and I believe family can make headways 
for God's kingdom. So that doesn't mean that everyone here needs to get married. Don't get me wrong. Like singleness is valued in the Bible. Like everyone does not need to get married. Everyone does not need to have kids. I'm not saying that. Some married couples can't have kids. Maybe some of you are called to be single. But what I'm saying is we need to value marriage and we need to value the family no matter where we're called to. The worship team would come up. We're going to close. So the main idea is this, throw it up there, marriage, as God's, or God set up in Genesis, is truly a beautiful design. It's the beautiful design. So there's three things we said that marriage is, just to remind you. Marriage is a sacred covenant. It's a call to give and to experience godly love. And it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross and of God's love for us. And marriage is for four things. There's probably more, or there is more, but these are the four main things. Uh, Friendship, gardening, which is your calling or whatever God's called you to do in life. Sex, can I get an amen? Sex is a good thing. Jesus loves sex, although he didn't have sex, but yes, sex is good. All right, the fourth thing is family. Family is a good thing. Let's start popping them out if you're married. There's like three of us, three couples here. Well, two tonight. Well, there's three. Yep. There might be more. I'm probably forgetting someone. But anyways, let's have some babies in here. I want to see some babies running around Kai Alpha soon. That's all I'm saying. Let's go. So I recognize tonight, (laughs) I'm pretty much telling myself to have kids. All right. Soon. All right. So I recognize that everyone is at a different place tonight. Some of you are single. And there's like no prospect of getting married anytime soon for you. Like you've got a lot of plans before you're going to get married or you're not going to get married at all. Uh, some of you are dating and marriage still scares you big time. You're st- are still trying to figure out like, am I dating the right person? Don't need to raise your hand for that one. That'd be awkward, but that could be you. And there's other, there's other people who are about to get married or who are married But no matter where you're at, I want you to get two things, two main things. This is like my third set of points. I'm not going to throw points up here, but get these two things, okay? The first thing is marriage is a beautiful thing. Guys, I want Kyle to be a place that celebrates marriage. Let's celebrate marriage as God set it up. Let's not apologize for it. Let's not try to change what Scripture says, but let's say marriage is beautiful. Marriage is amazing. I pray that this series would show you that. God, God knew what he was doing when he set marriage up. We don't need to redefine it. We don't need to change it. God knew what he was doing. And God said that this is the safest place for sex, for family, for this intimate friendship, for guarding. It's the best place for it to happen, for a cod to be held, you know, one flesh, for it to be held is in marriage. And he sets up boundaries, like the guidelines and the rules and, and the things that God sets up in the Bible, they're to protect us. They're for our good. It says that God is, or God's thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. His ways are way higher than our ways. And you may question God's design. You may not understand it completely. You may not understand all the caveats that are in our culture right now that are questioning marriage. But I pray that you say, God, you're way smarter than I am. And I'm going to submit to the word of God. 
And as we continue on into the 21st century, there's going to be more attacks on marriage. And God's looking for a group of people who are going to say, the way that God designs things are beautiful. I pray that you would hold to that. So I pray that you would know that, that marriage is beautiful, that's something to be celebrated, it's something to be pursued if God's called you to pursue it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Marriage is awesome. I pray that you would get that. And the second thing I want you to get is this, and this is the, the most important thing I could say to you. The covenant of marriage, the human covenant of marriage is just a glimpse. It's just a tiny fraction of the beautiful covenant that God wants to have with each one of you. It's like, it, compare, it doesn't compare at all to Jesus' love for you and the relationship that he wants to have with you, the friendship that Jesus wants to have with you, the calling that he wants to call you to. Guys, it doesn't even compare. And that is open to each of you. You don't have to find a partner for that. Jesus is already here. He's saying, be my partner. Let's have this intimate relationship where we spend time together, where I tell you every day, yes, you're so flawed. You're screwed up. But at the same time, you're so loved, and I'll go to the cross for you. And I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. That's how much Jesus loves you. I pray tonight that you would get that truth, that Jesus is for you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that Jesus gave up, or gave up everything for you. John 3.16 says, God shows his love for us in that while, no, that's not John 3.16, that's Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Pray that you would get that. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, and there's a relationship available for you. If you would stand with me tonight. As a culture, we need to have a healthy understanding of marriage. We need to honor and revere this beautiful design that marriage is. It's the avenue for the most intimate of human relationships where a man and a woman come together and say, all of me for all of you. John Legend, baby. Let's go. And guys, you need to prepare yourselves now for marriage. You need to, to make the right choices so you can set yourself up for a healthy marriage and a healthy family. And we also need to understand that Jesus modeled a healthy marriage when he laid down his life for the church. That's what we're called to in marriage, to lay down our lives for each other. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight. So two questions I have for you. There's two ways to respond. The first thing is this. If you're in this room... And there's, there's two possible places you could be. One, like you once fo or followed Jesus in the past or you once were in church or whatever, but if you're honest, you've fallen from that and you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Or two, you've never had a relationship with Jesus and tonight you want to give your heart to him for the first time. If that's you, if you want to enter into that covenant with Jesus that's available to each one of us, can you just slip up your hand? It's between you and God. There's no one look around. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Wow. You can put your hands down. That's amazing. Let's pray for that. So what I'm going to do is, or I'm just going to pray out loud a simple prayer of surrender and of repentance, just saying, God, like, I got failed, but I know that you love me. Just a simple prayer, and I pray that you would just pray that in your heart. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we thank you that you sent your own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have an intimate relationship with you. God, right now we invite you to come into our hearts. We surrender control of our lives and we say, God, we're all yours. We're saying, 
all of me for all of you, and you're saying it back to us. Jesus, I pray that you would transform our hearts. In Jesus' name. Second group of us is this. If you want to make a commitment to celebrate marriage, if you want to make a commitment to have a biblical understanding of marriage, or if you're called to marriage, if you want to do everything you can to be ready for marriage when the time comes, I, pray that you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Tons of hands going up. Jesus, see our hands. God, we want to celebrate the design that you set up. You can put your hands down. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you created a beautiful design for each of us to be a part of if we so choose. God, help us to celebrate marriage and help us to champion it. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.